ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد ستريدم وبيجن وذا حديث أبو عبيد مولى ابن أزهر واسمه سعد بن عبيد قال شهدت العيد مع عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه فقال هذان يومان نهى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عن صيامهما يوم فطركم من يوم صيامكم واليوم الآخر الذي تأكلون فيه من نسككم In this narration Sa'ad ibn Ubaid says that I prayed Eid along with Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu and he said Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu said, These two days, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam forbade the fasting within. Two days, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam forbade the fasting within. Yawmu fitrikum, the day of Eid al-Fitr, وَالْيَوْمُ الْآخُرُ الَّذِي تَأْكُلُونَ فِيهِ مِنُ سُوكِكُمْ And the other day when you eat your slaughterings. Eid al-Adha. The two days of Eid. It is haram to fast on the day of Eid. Whether it is this Eid coming or the other Eid coming after. The two days of Eid, this narration in Bukhari, a Muslim tells us clearly it is haram to fast on Eid day. The issue here is a person who travels in Ramadan. So let's say for example in the country where you are in they started the fasting then you travel to another country where they had started the fasting a day after you. So, when you finish your 30 days, the next day is supposed to be Eid. But where you are now, in that particular country, who had begun a day after the country you came from, their Eid may not be the next day. They may not spot the moon, so that next day is going to be their 30th day, their last day of Ramadan. You've already done 30 days. What are you going to do that next day? Everybody understand the scenario? Clear. What are you going to do the next day? Everybody in that country where you are now is still fasting. They didn't see the moon. It's the last day of Ramadan for them. You began a day earlier because of the country where you were. They'd spotted the moon a day earlier. So you had begun in your country a day earlier. You've now just finished 30 days. That next day is going to be 31st day for you. Eight day for you technically. What are you going to do? Not going to be able to pray Eid prayer anywhere. The country where you are now, they haven't seen the moon. They're all fasting tomorrow. Stick with the people. Stick with the people and fast. 31 days for Ramadan, you're saying? That's what you said? All right. Don't fast on that day. So you're going to be eating your and say, what are you doing? (laughs) So secretly eat. Secretly eat and pretend you're still fasting. 
Don't let anybody know you're not fasting and secretly eat and the next day just go and do the Eid and everything with everybody. Is that what you're saying? That's the fatwa? Yeah. Anybody agree, disagree? Yeah, fast. fast. Fast with them and then just do the Eid on the 31st day. Optional fast, the hadith just told you now. Haram to fast on Eid day. For you, it's Eid day, technically. So, what you've mentioned there, they are opinions of the scholars. There is an opinion of the scholars that you just fast. And we'll explain in a moment why. There is a, an opinion of the scholars, you open your fast but secretly. Because the whole country is fasting. So you're not going to go out in the streets eating during the day. You eat. You're not going to fast now. Your Ramadan is finished. 30 days have gone for you. So you can eat the next day. Just don't make it obvious in the country where you are now because they're doing their 30th day still. That is an opinion too. This opinion about you just fast with them, there are evidences to support it. Even though this hadith may seem to indicate to you that Eid day is haram to fast. For you technically that's Eid day. Evidences do exist. One is the general hadith. There is a general hadith which mentions that the meaning of which is that you fast with the people and you do Eid with the people. So if you've now landed in that country and that's when they are fasting and that's when they are doing Eid, you stick to their schedule according to that general hadith. That could be one evidence. Another explanatory evidence, an explanation you could give, so imagine you're traveling now. You set off from the UK and you start heading off towards uh, the western side, towards America. You're going to land on the east coast of America, the Caribbean, South America, eight hours later. However, when you land there eight hours later, if you set off from here at... Uh, 5 p.m., you land over there eight hours later, it's only actually going to be, because of the five-hour difference, it's going to be 8 p.m. The whole time difference is only going to be about three hours. So now, when you take off from the UK at 5 p.m., eight-hour flight, you get there in your time, at 1 a.m., but when you land, it's actually only 8 p.m., meaning your day has just become a lot longer in real terms. It's actually 1 a.m. for you, but as far as they're concerned, it's only just gone Maghrib. So when are you going to open your fast on that day? Let's say you fasted. We did it before. If you can able, you're able, you're capable to fast when you're traveling, you can fast. So you were fasting that day. When are you going to open your fast? Suhoor time, of course. Question is, when is Suhoor time? According to the UK schedule, you set off your flight at 5 p.m. So according to the UK schedule, four and a half hours into your flight, 9.30 p.m. on your watch from the, desti- from the uh, location where you set off from, at 9.30 p.m. on your watch, four and a half hours into the flight, you should open your fast. Only problem is four and a half hours into the flight, it's still going to be daylight. Because you're heading west, the sun won't have gone down yet. Sun's gonna go down after six, seven hours into your flight. So now what are you gonna do? Make an estimate. Estimate, so that's it. You don't need to make an estimate. You got your watch. You know four and a half hours into your flight is the UK open time. So at nine thirty you just open your fast even though the sun hasn't gone down yet because you're heading west. It's gonna take an extra hour or two before the sun goes down in the plane. Open it when it opens at your place. So you make your fast go longer. So you're going to end up opening your fast on your time, British time, 11.30 midnight. No, yeah, because you're going to open it at the place that, you know, they're there. Mm-hmm. So that means you're going to open your fast on UK time at 11 p.m. midnight almost. That's what they're going to do? You're going to delay opening the fast until the actual sun sets which isn't going to be four and a half hours into the flight because you're heading west. It's going to be six hours, seven hours into the flight. An extra two, two and a half hours onto your normal British open time. 
midnight you're going to open your fast maybe which will be about 7 p.m. local time where you are that's what you're going to do you're going to add an extra three hours onto your fast nobody said just open your fast four and a half hours into your flight according to your British time that is your fast you would do that if you do that you'll be making up a day after Eid <laughs> so you can't do that because where you are right now where you are right now at that moment in time the sun hasn't gone down regardless of where you set off from where you set off from has no meaning anymore where you are right now the sun hasn't gone down you're going to have to wait for it to go down because would you pray Maghrib then as well and the sun hasn't gone down of course not so you would have to wait for the sun to go down because you're traveling west, that's going to be maybe six or seven hours into your flight on those rough times that we're talking about, which is going to be your midnight UK time. On your watch, it's going to say midnight. That's when you're going to open your fast. So what have you done? Because you're traveling that way, you have had to add on extra time to your fast to keep in line with the local time of where you are. Local time, the sun goes down seven hours into your flight. You have had to add on the extra time. It's actually your midnight from where you set off now. But that's when you're going to open your fast now. Correct. If that's clear, and that's reasonably clear, you're not going to open your fast when you can still see the sun outside your window. You're not going to pray Maghrib when you can still see the sun outside your window. That's reasonably clear. You're going to have to wait for it to go down. Even if it means making your fast at midnight of your local time. If that's clear... Then the same example could be used for our first scenario, just in a bigger context. The man has set off from his country, and he's gone to a country who are behind him in time. Just like this person traveling west, westwards are behind us in time. He's gone to a country who are behind you, not just in time, but in a whole day. They are behind you in a whole day. You're going to have to wait with them until they catch up and then open it with them. Just like when the sun is going down in the west, you're traveling west, you're going to have to wait for the time to catch up until the sun goes down. It may be your midnight by then. That's when you open your fast. You go to this country who are a day behind, you're going to have to wait fast with them until they catch up and they've done their 30 and then you open your fast with them. Same kind of example. The same type of example. Will be permissible if you, for example, not fast when you travel. You know, the day you travel. That's another issue. I don't know about this one. You would still have to make up a day. Okay. You would still have to make up a day, as far as I know, because that day that you missed, you missed it for the purpose of traveling. Then, in the country you've gone to, you're doing that fast now. That's their thirtieth day. As far as I know, you would still need to do another day. Mm. Allah We can look into that situation. But the scenario is clear now as to why the scholars say you would have to wait for them to catch up. Just like you would have to wait for time to catch up and sun, the sun to go down as you're heading west. So that is one of the reasons the scholars say in that type of scenario, you wouldn't be considered as fasting on Eid day. You would be considered as being with the country where you are. That's their schedule. They've got a day left. You fast with them. You're in their Ramadan now. You're in their country now. So you fast with them and you do Eid with them. What about the other way? You head out from your country and you get to a country who had seen the moon a day before us. So you travel out when it's the 20th of Ramadan here. Uh, you set off in the morning, you get there in the afternoon and when you get there, they're on their 21st fast that day. So one has been taken out from you. At the end of the Ramadan, the moon is seen on the 29th day. Of their sighting. For you that's only. 28 days. Now what are you going to do? For you that's only 28 days. What are you going to do? We're going to do Eid. On your 29th day of Ramadan. You haven't even finished. You haven't finished Ramadan. You've only done 28 days. Ramadan minimum has to be. 29 days. Maximum 30 days. 
you've done 28 days, your next day is still Ramadan, technically. You're going to open your fast and eat and celebrate when you haven't even finished Ramadan. So eat and celebrate and do everything and then make up for it. Anybody else? What are you going to do? That is what most of the scholars say. You'll have to do Eid with them. You do Eid with the country. You can't start fasting and say, well, in my country and the way it worked out, I've only got 28 days, so I'm not going to be able to do Eid with any of you tomorrow. Where you've gone probably is your family, whatever else you're going to say to them, no, I'm not doing Eid tomorrow. I still got one day left. I'm going to do Eid by myself the day after come to the mosque and do my own prayer. Doesn't work. You've got to do Eid with all of them. You do Eid with everybody. But the problem is you've only done 28 days, so you will need to do one fast afterwards. You'll have to do one more day afterwards, but on the day of Eid of the country, you do Eid with them. So that is the situation with the traveling. So here, the point of this hadith was generally that uh, there are certain days mentioned in the sunnah where it is impermissible to fast. Two of those days are the days of Eid. It is haram to fast on the day of Eid, Eid al-Fitr or Eid al-Adha. Then, عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله عنه قال نهى رسول الله In fact, before we move on the final scenario the final scenario if you're traveling east if you're traveling east you set off at 5 p.m. four and a half hours into your flight it's going to be pitch black maybe two hours into your flight the sun will go down that's only going to be your 7 p.m. UK time do you open your fast now, or now do you have to wait for four and a half hours into the flight to open your fast? Now you're heading east. When you're heading east, that means the sun will go down quicker than your local time. 5 p.m. your flight sets off, you know, four and a half hours into the flight, 9.30 p.m. is the UK time of when you should open your fast. Four and a half hours into your flight. Problem is, two and a half hours into the flight, it's going to be pitch black outside. Maghrib time. Do you open your fast and pray or do you have to wait to fulfill your full day of fasting from your local time? Open it? So you've, you've missed a section of your day? This time agreement, consensus, you open your fast. Everybody wants to open their fast. Correct? Not correct? You're heading that way, eastwards, it's going to become Maghrib time earlier than your local time. So as a consequence, well, easy day, but you're not going to book a flight every day to go east. So then you open your fast at the time of Maghrib outside. That's going to be earlier than your local time. That could come in an hour, two hours into the flight, three hours into the flight before your four and a half hour mark because you're heading towards the east. So then, next narration, Anabi Sa'id al-Khudari radiyallahu anhu qal, نهى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عن صوم يومين نعم after this one now نعم this one نهى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عن صوم يومين النحر والفطر same narration again another hadith that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم forbade the fasting of two days the يوم النحر the day of slaughtering the day of slaughtering is عيد الأضحى what is known as the big Eid, Eid al-Adha. And there are narrations, it is, you know, when they say the big Eid is three days long. That includes the days they are talking about, the days of stoning after the dear Eid. And that's okay, you can say that. And this one, uh, Eid al-Fitr, both of those days, al-Nahar wal-Fitr. Eid, Yawm al-Nahar, the day of slaughtering, that's obvious why it's called the day of slaughtering. All the hujjaj that day, they slaughter. And everybody here can slaughter too. The day of slaughtering, that's obvious. The second, this Eid, is called the Eid of Fitr. What's Fitr? To break the fast. Like Iftar. Iftar, Fitr. This is the Eid of Iftar. Because every day you've been fasting, Eid day is like you're opening your fast for the month. You've been fasting the whole month. Eid day is to open your fast of the month. So it is known as the day of opening your fast. The day of Eid al-Fitr. 
Then, عن أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من صام يوما في سبيل الله بعد الله وجهه عن النار سبعين خليفة. This is talking about the person who fasts whilst at the same time being in jihad. If a person was to fast when he's actually physically out uh, in the path of Allah, uh, then the narration mentions that the great virtue of that individual is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will distance him from the fire, the distancing of 70 years worth. A distancing of 70 years worth from the fire, meaning that he will be separated away from the fire. And that just indicates the great virtue of that act. Moving on to the next section now is the section regarding the night of decree, Laylatul Qadr. Up to that so far have been some of the general rulings, general rulings uh, of fasting. Now it comes to Laylatul Qadr. First, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. أَنَّ رِجَالًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم أُرُوا لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ فِي الْمَنَامِ فِي السَّبْعِ الْأَوَاخِرِ فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَرَى رُؤْيَاكُمْ قَدْ تَوَاطَأَتْ فِي السَّبْعِ الْأَوَاخِرِ فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مُتَحَرِّيهَا فَلْيَتَحَرَّهَا فِي السَّبْعِ الْأَوَاخِرِ This hadith says that there was a group of men and they saw in their dream that the Laylatul Qadr occurs in the final seven nights. So the Prophet ﷺ said to them, I see that all of your dreams have occurred in conformity. Every one of you had the dream that it was in the final seven nights somewhere. So look for it in the final seven nights. In the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال تحروا ليلة القدر في الوتر من العشر الأواخر Look for the night of decree in the odd nights of the last ten nights In the odd nights of the last ten nights This is talking about when ليلة القدر occurs Talking about when ليلة القدر occurs Laylatul Qadr, as we know, a great night where the rewards are multiplied and the sins are wiped out and expiated and the decree of that year is done from the overall decree of the preserved tablet. And so when the companions, they found out about the great virtue of Laylatul Qadr, they wanted to find out when Laylatul Qadr is. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept it concealed from us. Concealed from us. We don't know the exact night in Ramadan that Laylatul Qadr is. So then the servants of Allah will increase in their worship and they will strive every night hoping that that night is Laylatul Qadr. So the Sahaba, at that time it's mentioned, had some dreams. And all of their dreams, they were the same. All of them had dreams indicating that it was in the final ten or the final seven. And so when they came to the Prophet ﷺ, he informed them that this is what is likely and this is what is expected. That it is in the final ten and then in some narrations it mentions the odd nights of the final ten. In some narrations it mentions more likely the final seven. Some narrations mentions more likely the 27th, the 29th. There are various narrations that talk about the possibility of when exactly Laylatul Qadr will be. Of course it is unknown exactly when it will be. That's why the scholars they say, if you want to make sure that you worship on Laylatul Qadr, because the worship of the night of decree is like the worship of a thousand months worth, which is over 80 years worth of worship, a lifetime of worship rewarded for one night's worship. If you want to guarantee catching that, the only way to do it, the scholars say, is what? Every night of the last ten to pray and worship, etc.? Nope. My takeoff is the last 10, that's the same answer. 
If you want a guarantee catching that night, what should you do? That's the same answer again. Everybody's given the same answer so odd, far. Odd nights in the last one. Just the odd nights. The scholars, they say, some of them they mention, if you want to guarantee that you've caught Laylatul Qadr, the only way is that you pray every single night of Ramadan. Because the last 10 is the most, most likely. Despite that, there are scholars who mention evidences to highlight that it's not something you can still say is 100%. So they say, if you want to be absolutely sure, even though, yes, last 10 is basically what's expected. But even then, just on the off chance, you want to be absolutely sure, and you should be doing it anyway, anyway. You should be praying every night anyway. So they say every night pray. And plus there are the other narrations, Man qama Ramadan, imanan uhtisaban ghufira lahu ma taqaddama min dhambi. Whomsoever prays in Ramadan, the night prayers, uh, with iman, sincerity, desiring the reward from Allah, then Allah will forgive him his sins. That narration applies to the one who prays every single night. The one who prays every single night of Ramadan, then this hadith applies. That's what the scholars say. Not just somebody comes and prays odd nights here and there. Every single night you pray the taraweeh, as well as your obligatory prayers. So to guarantee, they say, every single night. But then the most likelihood of where it's going to be is the last 10 nights. The most likelihood of that is the last 10 odd nights in there. And then there are narrations about the 27th, about the 23rd, about the 29th. There are other narrations as well. But a person should be striving for worship on every single night, not just focusing on the odd nights of the last 10. Because even the odd nights of the last 10, there is some speech from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. How do you even know when the odd nights are? Tonight, where are we? What, what day is this now? Today is what day of fasting? Saturday was the first day, so yesterday was the eighth. Today is the ninth day. So tonight is going to be the tenth night of Ramadan. So you could carry on working it out like that. Tomorrow the eleventh night, twelfth night, thirteenth night. You'd work out where the twenty-first is, where the twenty-third is, where the twenty-fifth is, etc. Some scholars say... Depending on whether the month ends up as 29 days or 30 days, you work out the nights backwards from the end, which means the even nights would end up as the odd nights, and the odd nights would end up as the even nights. That's why really you can't try and pick out the odd nights of the last 10. You've got to do every night of the last 10. Fully worshipping, praying, Quran, Dua, everything in the last 10 nights particularly the last 10 nights. And ideally, the whole month. The whole month a person should do it. The prayer and the, the uh, standing and the fasting. Then, there is a hadith about the i'tikaf. An Abi Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu anhu, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana ya'takifu fil ashri al-awsat min Ramadan. Initially, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to do i'tikaf when? In the last ten, before that, what did he used to do? It's mentioned in this narration, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to do i'tikaf in the middle ten initially. Tenth to the twentieth of Ramadan, the middle section of Ramadan. That he used to do i'tikaf in the middle section. Then he said to them one year, Whoever's been doing i'tikaf in the middle ten, do it in the last ten from now on. Because I had a dream, I was shown that Laylatul Qadr is in the last ten. And then he said, but I forgot, I was made to forget which night of the last ten. 
So he said, it was shown to me that it's in the last 10, but then I was made to forget which exactly of the last 10. So do their atikaf generally in the last 10, he said to them. وَقَدْ رَأَيْتُنِي أَسْجُدْ فِي مَاءٍ وَطِينٍ مِنْ صَبِيحَتِهَا فَالْتَمِسُوهَا فِي الْعَشْرِ الْأَوَاخِرِ So look for it, look for Laylatul Qadr in the last 10. وَالْتَمِسُوهَا فِي كُلِّ وِتَرْ And look for it in the odd nights. قَالْ فَمَطَرَةِ السَّمَاءُ تِلْكَ اللَّيْلَةِ It rained that night. وَكَانَ الْمَسْجِدُ عَلَىٰ عَرِيشٍ فَوَكَفَ الْمَسْجِدِ فَأَبْصَرَتْ عَيْنَايَ رَسُولٌ in the vision the Prophet ﷺ had, he said, I had seen myself uh, prostrating and the mud was on my face. So when it rained, and the roof of the Prophet's mosque in those days used to be made of hay, you know, like the thatched roofs, the hay roofs, grass. So when it used to rain, heavy rain, obviously eventually used to seep through and come through. The ground had nothing on it, no carpet, nothing, just the desert ground. So when the rain used to come, it became, it became muddy. It used to become muddy. So on that night he prayed, and because of that rain, it's mentioned he saw him, uh, that he had this mud on his forehead due to the, the water and the rain that had come into the mosque. So this narration tells us that initially the Prophet ﷺ used to do i'tikaf in the middle ten in the hope of catching Laylatul Qadr. Then it became known to him a vision was shown to him that actually the Laylatul Qadr is in the final 10. And that's when he then ordered everybody to do their i'tikaf in the final 10 and to look for Laylatul Qadr in the final 10 and in particular the odd nights. So that is what is expected of Laylatul Qadr. I'tikaf itself, what are the rulings for i'tikaf? What are the rulings for i'tikaf? We have a hadith here of Aisha radiyallahu anha. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana Allah. The Prophet sallallahu used to do i'tikaf in the final ten up until his death. And then his wives used to do the i'tikaf after him. I'tikaf, it is a sunnah. There are certain issues related to it. One of them is, is i'tikaf only valid in the Prophet's Masjid and Al-Masjid Al-Haram and uh, Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa? Is it only those three mosques or any mosque in the world? There is an opinion of some of the scholars, i'tikaf is only in those three mosques. And there is no such thing as i'tikaf in any other mosque anywhere in the world. That is an opinion of some of the scholars. Other scholars hold the opinion that i'tikaf can be done in any mosque. Any mosque which has all of the five prayers being established in it and the Jum'ah being established in it. Sometimes you get mosques, they pray the five prayers, but they don't pray Jum'ah. Like in Saudi Arabia, in the areas, every area, there's a mosque in every corner. But the way it works, in that area, there'll be one central mosque and then lots of little mosques everywhere. All the little mosques have the five daily prayers. So wherever you live around the corner, you got a mosque. But on Jumu'ah time, all the small mosques don't do Jumu'ah. Just the big central one does it, so everybody gathers together once a week. So the small mosques, it would not be allowed to do i'tikaf in, because there's no Jumu'ah being held in them. Only the big one you could do it in. So it's got to be a mosque where all five prayers are being established and the Jum'ah prayer is being established in it. If it's a mosque where the five prayers are being done but there's no Jum'ah in it, you can't do i'tikaf in that type of mosque. So it's got to be a mosque where it's fully functional with all of the prayers being done in it. A woman, how does she do i'tikaf? What's a woman going to do? Anybody? What is a woman going to do? How is she going to do i'tikaf? How does a woman do i'tikaf? Nobody knows. What are you going to do? Huh? In the mosque. In the mosque? At home. At home? In the mosque? Not at home. They can't do i'tikaf in their room at home? 
Palestine. Keep the, the racism out. Huh? <laughs> so, اعتكاف, many people have this impression that it can be done by women in the home. Scholars, they say there is no real sunnah for that. Where is the sunnah for i'tikaf in the house? I'tikaf is in the mosque. So when women do i'tikaf, if they do it, it's supposed to be in the mosque too. Not in your home, in your room, you lock yourself in there. I'tikaf is in the mosque. I'tikaf, the women have to go to the mosque too. That's why the scholars say, if a woman wants to do i'tikaf, she wants to do i'tikaf, she's got to make sure that she has the permission of her husband, father, whoever it is. If they need her at home, then she can't do it. And there's no problem in that. She'll have a reward for fulfilling the rights of her household. So if she can't go because she's got rights in the household, then okay. She can't go then. If she gets the permission, her family's okay for her to go. Her husband's okay for her to go. Her father, whoever it is, they give her permission to go. The mosque has made appropriate segregated arrangements for women. Secluded, secure arrangements for women. And everything is safe and organized. Then the woman should go and do the i'tikaf in the mosque. Not in a home in the room. If she's not able to go because the mosque has not arranged any proper secure arrangements for women, then she can't go. And there's nothing upon her. She'll get her reward for her other affairs and her worship. Or if the husband or the father doesn't give permission, or if there's some other problem, there isn't security or safety in the mosque or something, then she can't go. But if everything is in place, she has permission, then in the mosque, in the segregated, secure area, that's where they do i'tikaf too. What's allowed when you're doing i'tikaf and what's not? What is the purpose of i'tikaf? What are you supposed to do when you're in i'tikaf? <coughs> worship. You are supposed to seclude yourself for the purpose of worship. So you're reciting the Quran, you're praying, you're doing dua. That is the purpose of when you do i'tikaf in the mosque. The purpose is not to go and have a socializing. Not to go and socialize with everybody else doing i'tikaf. Sitting and talking and relaxing all day and on the phones all day. That isn't the purpose of i'tikaf. I'tikaf isn't just to sit in the mosque for the last 10 days. It's not just about sitting in the mosque. It's about sitting there for a purpose. The purpose is worship. Separating yourself, secluding yourself. Not relaxing and talking and socializing. Secluding yourself in the mosque in your area. Worshipping, reading, reciting, Quran, etc. That is the purpose of i'tikaf. Not to just be there for the sake of being there and relaxing and talking and socializing all day. How long do you have to do i'tikaf for? What's the minimum for i'tikaf? What is the sunnah for i'tikaf? How many days? What? I'tikaf, mm. how long is it supposed to be? Ten days. One day? Three days? Twenty days? Just one day? I'tikaf one day? You're going to go inside one day, do i'tikaf, go home again? So, in the sunnah it's mentioned ten days. The last ten days. However, that's not a condition. So if you could only manage one day, then so be it. You didn't get any time of work, you tried, they only gave you one day before Eid. The last day of Ramadan, you can go do i'tikaf. If that's all you got. Imagine you're working, you only got the weekend off. That weekend which falls in the last ten days... There's going to be one weekend which falls in the last 10 days. That weekend you could go i'tikaf. You could go do two days of i'tikaf. Make intention, I'm going to go to the mosque, go in for i'tikaf from Friday night to Sunday night. Two days you do i'tikaf. Allowed? It's allowed. So whatever you're able to do, you make your intention and you go and you do it. When you're in i'tikaf then, like we said, you don't use your time relaxing and socializing. What about exiting from the mosque? When you're in i'tikaf, you made the intention, you've gone in, is it allowed to leave the mosque during that time? Only for a need. Only for a need. So now you've made the intention, let's say, for the full 10 nights. Last 10 days, you're doing i'tikaf, you're in the mosque. You're saying you're not allowed to leave the mosque unless there's a need. What's a need? Emergency. 
toilet, inshallah, most mosques these days have toilets inside. You won't have to worry about that. Anything else? Buy food? Shower. Food, shower, all of these things. Most places, you won't really have to leave the mosque for any of those things. Food, unless you're skin, your family's not helping you, nothing at all. There'll be somebody who's going to bring you some food. Somebody will bring you food to the mosque. There'll be food in the mosque. Those types of reasons are not normally reasons for a person to have to leave the mosque. If it came to it, then yes. But these days, the reality is it doesn't come to that. Food, it's, it's organized. Food is organized. Showers, typically, if the mosque is allowing you to do i'tikaf, most of the time they will have some shower facility. Janazah. Janaza, the hadith says, is not permissible to exit for. If you're in i'tikaf, you do not exit for janazah. Janazah prayer isn't something which is a valid reason to exit the i'tikaf for. Anything else? Things like that, you could, you could maybe say that. Maybe that's a necessity. Some emergency happens at home, you're needed. You're the only one who can sort it out. So, in necessity, you've had to exit there. Yeah, medical purposes, something happens medically, you've got to go to the hospital that night. Necessity. It's got to be a necessity. You can't just exit, I need to do something, nobody's here, I need to go get something. You can't just leave i'tikaf. The purpose of i'tikaf, what's the meaning of the word i'tikaf? What does the word i'tikaf mean? It means to stick to some place and to remain in a place. That's what the word i'tikaf means. To remain in a place. I'tikaf. To remain in a place. To stick to that place and to remain in that place. That's what i'tikaf means. So if you start going out here and there every day, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, nobody can do it for me, necessity, then you're not doing i'tikaf properly. If it's a real emergency necessity, okay, you can exit. Otherwise you don't. So that is some of the rulings regarding the i'tikaf. <clears throat> and that brings us to the majority of the section that we wanted to cover. Any questions on that or any of the parts of that so far? You know, fasting on uh, the day of Eid, mm. they extended three days for Eid al Yep, in that there's a narration Ayamul Tashriq, Ayamul Akl wa Shurb. The days of Tashriq, the stoning days, they are days of eating and drinking, so you shouldn't fast on those days either. After the big Eid as it's known as, the two or three days which come after, those days you shouldn't fast. So four days maybe altogether, three days, four days. You don't fast those days. After that you can fast. You got a question, you got your hand up? Mm-hmm. Anyone else on anything else? This is going to be the final class. Question from the sister. Breastfeeding issue. If a woman has been breastfeeding and therefore she was not able to fast, what is the ruling? The video. Who said? That is an opinion of some of the scholars. An opinion of some of the scholars. But others, they say, you got to make it up. Two opinions. Either you make up the days or you give the video. There are two opinions about it. Here the question says there was a sister who missed 29 days, basically the whole month, due to breastfeeding, and she was going to make them up, but she didn't. So that assumes that she was following the opinion that you got to make the days up. Then, if a woman is breastfeeding, she can breastfeed for two years anyway. So that would possibly take two Ramadans anyway. So if she was feeding for that whole period of two years then there's nothing upon it to make up until after that two years. So it could be the third Ramadan after that she starts making up anyway. So if this particular questioner 
has been breastfeeding for a full two years and has missed and not been able to make up due to that, then there's nothing upon us. He just makes up after this Ramadan or whenever the breastfeeding finishes. If she had finished the breastfeeding and had opportunity, had the opportunity to make up those fasts before this Ramadan because the breastfeeding had finished months ago, she had the opportunity, she had the intention, but just out of laziness never got around to doing it. Then what's the ruling on that? The ruling would be upon that opinion that you got to make them up. After this Ramadan, she has to make them up. And then on top of that, she's got to feed a poor person for every day for being lazy and not making them up before this Ramadan came. That's if she had the chance to make them up, but she never took it. Let's say, for example, she was breastfeeding last year. That finished six months ago. So she had six months left before this Ramadan started to make up the last one. But she just never got around to it, never did it. For no real reason, just delaying it, delaying it, delaying it, never got around to doing it. So that's technically a sin in that case. So after this Ramadan, she's got to do it still, make up that 29 days, and then give a uh, fidya, feeding the poor person for every day as well. That's upon the opinion of, you have to make them up. There is the other opinion which says, you do not have to make them up at all, you just give the fidya for every day, in which case she would just have to give the fidya for every day. But even then, she should have done it by now. Because that is supposed to be taken care of at that time. And you're not supposed to delay that to the next Ramadan, Ramadan after. But if that is her opinion, looking into that situation, and that's the conclusion you come to, then all she has to do is give the fidya. But if the opinion is that you need to make them up, then in that case, after this Ramadan, she should make them up and give food for every day for a poor person too. Which is a strong opinion. Allah. I don't know what the stronger opinion is. Anything else? Any other Ramadan questions? Last class and then we're going to carry on after Eid, inshallah. Distance for traveling. This we've discussed a few times. What's, what's the distance which validates uh, missing fasting? What distance is classed as traveling? So what is it then? What's the difference of opinion? So that's one opinion. The cultural norm of the people. What do the people of your city view as a journey? If they view going around the corner to Bradford, everyone says that's a mission and a half. That's a journey. Then it's a journey, Islamically. For everybody in Bradford, uh, in Leeds, if everybody said that's going to Bradford, that, that takes six months of planning. You need to go top the oil and the water up in your car. You need to make sure you got provisions, your sandwiches, your lunch, just in case you break down the M602. So in that case, that's a journey, if that was the cultural norm of the people. We know it is not the cultural norm of the people, therefore upon that opinion you would not be a traveller if you go to Bradford. There is other opinions though. Another opinion says if you leave the boundaries of your city, you're a traveller. Upon that opinion, if you go to Bradford, you are a traveller because you've left the boundaries of Leeds. Another opinion says it is 49 miles or 50 miles, 80 kilometres. Upon that opinion, you would not be a traveller going around to Bradford anyway, Sheffield even, around these places. 50 miles, that doesn't come into it. 50 miles beyond, you're a traveller. That is an opinion of some of the scholars. So with that, it's difficult to pinpoint one thing. Sheikh al-Islam mentions the norm of the people. And to be honest, Allah alam. The norm of the people typically is probably around about that 50, 50 mile mark anyway. People travel 30 miles, 40 miles. They don't really consider that to be a huge thing. People might go from Leeds down to Sheffield, do a shopping trip in Meadow Hall and come back and that's nothing. It's a day out. There's no journey, there's no trip. Most people think that way. It's a casual down the road, down the M, M uh, which one is it? M1. M1, M1 huh? and we're straight down there to Meadow Hall, come back. It's not a, nobody thinks anything of it. That's how people are mostly. So normally, 40, 50 miles when you start getting onto that kind of boundary, that's normally the cultural norm of the people to start thinking now it's getting a bit long. 50 miles away, that's a bit far. 30, 35 miles around the corner, you can go quickly come back half an hour drive. So uh, culturally as well, 
Allahu alam, but it would appear 40, 50 miles there or thereabouts onwards. And there's the opinion of the 50 miles anyway. Somewhere there or thereabouts, you would maybe start to think now you're a traveler. Hmm. There's a mosque that prays uh, uh, the Isha 10 minutes before it's uh, due time. And then the Tarawih prays. Is it okay to pray there? Due time, it depends. What time do they pray? I mean, when they started off, it was half past 10 and it was what time is Maghrib in those days? Well, the first fast was about what was it, nine fourteen or something. And the Isha was entering at ten thirty. Yeah. So seventy five minutes afterwards. That's what they were praying. They were praying. They were praying the Isha Seventy five minutes is a bit tight for the approximations. It's it's you know it's a little bit very. Now they're praying about ten four. 10.42, How much gap did they leave? So 90 minutes now. Yeah, so it's still 75 minutes still. 75 is a bit tight from the normal approximations. From the normal approximations, normal estimations, 75 minutes is a bit tight. Allah. Normally 80, 90 minutes. That's the norm of what most mosques seem to be agreed upon. 75 is probably slightly tight to say Isha's entered. So perhaps it's better to go elsewhere. <coughs> All right, we'll conclude. Oh, go on. What? A lesson? After Asr is a Quran lesson? Yeah. Uh, and what's going on? What do you mean? He's, he's teaching you or what's he doing? He's teaching. He's teaching. So what's wrong? So what's wrong with that? Or how are you going to... Oh, so he's reciting and all the students are reciting with him. So how is he, how is he teaching you then? How does he know who's making the mistakes? <laughs> so that isn't teaching. That's uh, some sort of ibadah they're doing. Huh? Yeah, but it's not... It's, that, isn't a, uh, that isn't a class then. It's not a class. Then you don't repeat with him. That's that's almost becoming like a Sufi type of circle, sitting there and everybody's reciting along with the Imam. No, no. Then if you want to listen to him, he's practicing. He's reading. You want to listen to him? Nice recitation, no problem. But everybody's sitting there reading with him, and it becomes this type of circle. No, that's like a, a people are going to see that they're going to think this is some sort of worship. Uh, that isn't done like that. You don't sit there, everybody reading along with him. Then sit down by yourself and read by yourself. That's congregational reading of the Quran. Where's that in the Sunnah? So not reading with him like that. If you want to, just follow. If you want to sit there, he's reading. And you want to follow along. Maybe you want to practice your tajweed. No problem with that. But you don't start reading along with him. Everybody reading along with him. Because if you're reading along with him, you're not learning anyway. You're not listening to him then. If he's supposed to be somebody good at recitation and tajweed for you to learn, you need to listen to him then. If you're reading yourself, you're not listening to what he's saying then. So if you want to just look at the Quran and just as he's reading... Follow along so you see how he pronounces the words. That's, that's what you would do with a, a Quran CD or something when you're learning anyway. You listen to the CD and you follow along, see how it's pronounced. You could do that, but you don't start reading along with him into the circle. Hmm. All right, we'll conclude there then. And uh, the lesson will carry on the first Sunday after Eid. Eid's going to be on a Sunday anyway, Sunday or a Monday or something. So that first Sunday afterwards, July the 2nd, that will be the first lesson again, inshallah, after Eid.